It's Friday, March 29th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Joe Cameron is the woman who feels no pain. Joe is now 71, and scientists are just finding out why she has gone through her whole life experiencing very little pain. She would often cut herself or burn herself and wouldn't notice until she saw blood or smelled burning flesh. Rachel Feltman, editor at Popular Science, joins us for what makes Joe Cameron feel no pain, a gene mutation that scientists hope could help others in the future. Next, these measles cases are getting out of hand. The number of cases so far this year is nearing the total for all of 2018, with six states reporting outbreaks. It has become such a public health hazard that Rockland County, New York, has banned unvaccinated minors from entering public spaces for 30 days. Rachel Becker, reporter at The Verge, joins us for why the measles have gotten out of control and why these type of bans may become more common. Finally, a follow-up to the lawsuit against Monsanto and its parent company, Bayer. Edwin Hardiman claimed that years of using their Roundup weed killer gave him non-Hodgkin lymphoma. A jury decided that the product did give him cancer, and they also just decided that Bayer was liable in the case and owes him $80 million. Sarah Rendazzo, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to wrap up this case. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. There was one incident she referenced that they talked about in the case study where she was in a car accident and she didn't feel any kind of panic the entire time. Joining us now is Rachel Feltman, science editor at Popular Science and host of the PopSci podcast, The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week. I love stories about fascinating and weird people. And we're going to be talking about the woman that doesn't feel pain. Her name is Joe Cameron. She's a Scottish woman. And there's something very different about how she experiences pain. For the most part, she doesn't feel it. And scientists found out that she has this gene mutation on a previously unidentified gene, and it leads to her really not feeling much pain at all. It also leads to her to feeling very little anxiety or fear. Researchers are a little excited to know more about this because they feel that way down the line, they might be able to get some uh, medications or something to help people with their own pain treatments and, and anxiety treatments as well. So tell us about Joe Cameron and what we learned about her. What's really interesting about this case is that it may surprise some people to learn that this is not the first time scientists have studied someone who doesn't feel pain. And in fact, we know of a few different gene mutations that can cause this. But what's really unusual about her is that in most cases, traditionally, when we think about people who don't feel pain, we find out when they're really young because not feeling pain might sound like a superpower, but <laughs> right. it's actually really dangerous. You know, you think about all the things you learn not to do as a kid because they hurt. You learn you shouldn't play with broken glass. You learn you shouldn't put your hand on a hot stove. You notice when you're sick. I got appendicitis when I was 12, and I certainly wouldn't have known I my life was in danger if I wasn't in pain. So it, things like that usually become a problem, and these children either die due to illness or accidents, or a doctor figures out that there's something unusual going on. So the really interesting thing about this Scottish woman is that doctors did not find out until she was 66, and that was because she came in with a thumb that was so badly deteriorated due to arthritis that she could not use it. But she said that it felt perfectly fine. And 
after the surgery, she said it felt perfectly fine, even though she had just had surgery on her thumb. That struck the doctors as so unusual that they sent her for a consult with a couple of specialist teams at University College London and Oxford. And they decided to take a look at her genome and they found a mutation that, while it was on a gene we know about, was not previously associated with this rare lack of pain sense. When she went in to speak to her doctors, they said, you're definitely going to need strong painkillers after this because it can be very... Very brutal. And she says, I bet I won't. You know, just like yeah. really matter of fact, like I already know this. She went through her whole life this way, getting cuts, burns. She said that it often took the smell of burning flesh or her husband to say, hey, you're on fire. You're burning yourself before <laughs> she would really realize it. And the one that I love too here is that she would eat scotch bonnet chili peppers and say that she only had a pleasant glow after. So if you yeah. think of habanero peppers, these scotch bonnet ones are at least twice as hot as those, some 450,000 on the Scoville unit level. This is kind of the life she was living, and she didn't really think much of it. The other thing that this gene mutation allowed her was they say that she lived a life mostly free of anxiety and fear also, which is another thing that researchers really want to look into. She took an anxiety disorder questionnaire. She scored zero out of 21, and she said she could never remember feeling depressed or scared or anything in her life. There was one incident she referenced that they talked about in the case study where she was in a car accident and she didn't feel any kind of panic the right. entire time. She flipped yeah. upside down in that car when she had that accident. <laughs> and yeah, she didn't feel any yeah. anxiety. What's really fascinating to me is that it really makes you wonder how many people assume they just have a high pain tolerance and they actually have extremely abnormal perception of pain, right. especially since, at least according to her anecdotes, it sounds like her father probably had the same mutation. Her son has like a partial, he inherited it from his mom, but not his dad. So he has like some of this desensitivity, but it sounds like her father had it completely. And so, you know, you have to imagine that because her father had also always been this way that added to the illusion that this is normal. They said that there are a few downsides to this, only in the fact that she is quite forgetful. She's prone to losing a lot of things or losing her train of thought mid-sentence. And the other is that she's never felt that kind of adrenaline rush that a lot of people talk about. And that probably figures into her you know, low anxiety and lack of fear also. Briefly describe to us how this works, how this gene mutation actually results in her feeling less pain. There are several different gene mutations that have been associated with lack of pain. In Jean's case, it is what we call a pseudogene. So it's basically where you have a regular gene like everyone else has, but then you have another partial copy of it somewhere in your DNA. Now, in most cases, these won't do anything. They're partial genes. They're going to end up being junk DNA. We have a lot of that, but sometimes they do do something, often at least slightly related to what the whole gene does. In her case, they knew that the original gene, the pseudogene was a partial copy of, it creates an enzyme that breaks down something called anandamide. And that's a cannabinoid natural in the human body. And it promotes euphoria and decreases bad sensations, sadness, pain, lots of things like that. Some researchers think that it might be part of that rush of good feeling you have when you exercise, that kind of dulls pain, if you think about it. And sure enough, she had 70% more of this than is typical. Wow. So she's kind of always having that <laughs> like high you have when you push yourself really hard to work out right. and you're like pushing a little bit harder. They've tried to harness this specific gene before in combating depression and anxiety and haven't been successful. And they're not really sure why. 
so there's a lot of hope that studying how exactly this works in her can help. We have seen some downsides in these rodent subjects where they have problems with memory. And sure enough, the woman in the case report says that she does have trouble remembering things. I think she even said sometimes she forgets a word she's trying to recall mid-sentence. So obviously that is not awesome. But she also seems to have a slightly higher rate of healing than average, which is also something that has been seen in the mouse subjects. So it's all really cool and it provides a lot of opportunities for researchers to learn more and potentially help people. And for the next few years, I'm assuming that she's going to be working with researchers so they can find out as much as they can about her and these specific gene mutations. Rachel Feltman, science editor at Popular Science, host of the PopSci podcast, The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Vaccine refusal is one of the growing public health threats of our time. If we continue to allow non-medical exemptions to vaccination, the rates of vaccine will continue to fall. More outbreaks will undoubtedly follow. Joining us now is Rachel Becker, science reporter at The Verge. These measles outbreaks are getting out of control right now. The number of cases of measles this year in the U.S. is nearing the total for all of 2018. There's a bunch of states uh, that are reporting outbreaks. Outbreaks are defined as three or more cases. So we have some going on in New York State, New York City. Washington, Texas, Illinois, California. These are fluctuating constantly because, you know, you add a kid or two here and there every day. 314 cases nationwide as of March 21st. That's getting close to the 372 for all of last year. And a New York County specifically banned unvaccinated children from public spaces for 30 days. This is in Rockland County, New York. Tell us a little bit about this ban, and then we'll get into a larger discussion about measles. Rockland County has been dealing with a measles outbreak for the past six months. They've got 153 people who've been infected so far that are confirmed, and and that's still going up. And so public health officials have been investigating, you know, trying to find people who may have been exposed, and they've been kind of running into barriers. And so, yes, a few days ago, Rockland County Executive announced that underage kids who are unvaccinated are going to be banned from public places. And the way it's going to work, it's it's not going to, like, require a hand over their vaccination records right. to get into the mall. You know, they're not so, they're not doing that. That would be so difficult to do to stop every parent. So that's was one of my big curiosities is how do you enforce something like this? And even the way they're enforcing it also seems kind of crazy too, but please go on to explain. They're not going to ask people for their vaccination records to go into public spaces like the movie theater, right? So instead the plan is to do a retroactive enforcement. So The idea is that as the outbreak continues, if through epidemiological investigations they find someone who was unvaccinated, who was a minor in a public space who was linked to the outbreak, then the parents could wind up getting in trouble and could face a fine or even jail time. And the county says that's not what they want to do. The county says that this is really to raise awareness and get attention from parents that they need the parents to cooperate and they need the parents to vaccinate their children in order to protect everybody. Yeah, that fine is $500 or possibility of 90 days in jail. But as you said, they don't want to put anybody in jail over this. From the officials, they said that as this outbreak has continued, our inspectors have begun to meet increasing resistance from those they're trying to protect. What kind of resistance are they getting? I guess they pointed to somebody who exposed people at a target and later stopped helping investigators. 
Something that's really key as public health officials try to contain an outbreak is they need to know where people who are infected were and when so that they can tell people who might have been exposed so that the people who've been exposed can monitor themselves. If they themselves haven't been vaccinated, they can go see their healthcare provider. They need people who have been infected to tell them where they've been and when. And so in this particular case, it sounded like investigators talked to this person, this person was helping them originally and then stopped helping. So they weren't able to really narrow down the window of time that people might have been exposed at this target. And so then you've got a lot of fear of people who might have been exposed because they just don't know. I wanted to ask the broader question because the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine, the MMR vaccine has been proven to be very effective, but still people are not getting them. What is the reason behind that? I know that there's a lot of loopholes in different states where kids can be exempt from getting it. First off, you know, the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine is very safe. It's very effective. And it's very important that everybody get vaccinated who can get vaccinated because people who are too young to be vaccinated or too sick to be vaccinated or to mount an effective immune response really depend on herd immunity to protect them. And herd immunity is where everybody is protected against the virus so that it can't spread to the people who are not. And so that's why states have vaccination requirements for kids who are entering school. That's why people are supposed to get all their shots before they start congregating, you know, in classes. The hiccup is that in several states, parents can get exemptions for religious reasons, for medical reasons, if, for example, a kid is too sick to get vaccines. And also in some states for philosophical reasons. So if they just don't believe Believe in vaccines. 17 states that allow parents to skip them just based off of their personal beliefs. And so that really erodes the herd immunity that certain children depend on to be protected from the measles. And measles isn't a benign disease. You know, people like to dismiss it as just a fever and a rash, but in fact, it can cause pneumonia, it can cause brain swelling that eventually leads to brain damage, and it can kill. Officials are saying that this these types of bans banning kids from public spaces could happen increasingly in the near terms, just based off of how quickly these things are spreading. Rachel Becker, science reporter at The Verge, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Today, history was made. Today, the jury unanimously held Monsanto responsible for causing this man's cancer. Joining us now is Sarah Randazzo, legal reporter for The Wall Street Journal. We wanted to bring you back. We wanted to talk about this follow-up to this case that Monsanto and Bayer were going through with Edwin Hardiman. He claimed that he developed non-Hodgkin lymphoma after using their Roundup weed killer for over the course of many, many years. He said that he got ill because of it. The trial, this one was unique in that it went through two phases. The first phase was the jury decided that using the Roundup weed killer was significant in him getting cancer. And then the second phase was to determine the liability of Monsanto and Bayer in this whole process. And we came out with an award amount for Edwin. They're going to be paying him $80 million over this. So what do we know about this latest development? It was a pretty big deal for the plaintiff yesterday. The jury came back completely in his favor and they basically said yes to every question they were asked, which included whether they thought Roundup's design was defective, whether they thought it should have had a warning and that Monsanto failed to warn, and that they were negligent by not failing to warn. So they said yes 
asked all those questions, and then they awarded him $80.3 million in damages. Wow. And part of this was in determining their liability was, did you do enough to test this product? Did you go through this? And even some of the lawyers were saying, these people that were working there at Monsanto and Bayer and, and specifically on this product, you know, there wasn't this grand conspiracy to say we're going to give people cancer every day when they were leaving work. So that was one of the arguments that they had about this. But the law, the in two cases now, this is the second case where they've determined that this roundup did cause cancer in, in the two plaintiffs. The second phase of the trial looked at the company's conduct and the plaintiff's narrative is that they didn't want to do science on it because they didn't want to find it was dangerous. Bayer counters that they did plenty of science that proved it was safe, but it's a real back and forth between whether they did the science and if they did the right kind of science and what they wanted to find in the end. Bayer, after this, they said that they stand by their product and that the verdict really is not going to have an effect on future trials. There's over 11,000 lawsuits that are in the pipeline right now. I think there's going to be four or five maybe that come later this year even. I mean, I would have to imagine that these findings by these juries are going to impact that at least. Yeah, so they impact it in the broader sense. I think Monsanto and Bayer were trying to say that it's not precedent setting in the term, in the sense of the jurors in the next case aren't told, okay, in the last one they did 80 million, you know, what do you say? And so each trial has independent jurors. And so in that way, they're each individual, but cumulatively, it makes a, a big deal. If you start to rack up losses, obviously that's going to have a huge impact on how it could get ultimately resolved. How has the market reacted to all of this news? Today, it was less of a shift than last week. Last week, I believe it fell 13% or so, maybe 9% on the, on the news. Today, the stock went up and down a little bit, but ended up about the same. So I think maybe investors are finally getting a little more comfortable, or maybe this was just very expected since the first part of the trial found it did cause his cancer. So it seemed very, very likely that the jury was going to award some damages yesterday. You know, part of why this is so interesting is that Roundup Weed Killer is such a common product. A lot of people use it. And we're already seeing effects based off of what the last lawsuit and, and this one have determined. L.A. County in California has banned the use of Roundup Weed Killer. They're asking all of their departments in L.A. County to stop using this product and uh, explore alternative methods for vegetation management. The big question is, where do we go from here? Does Monsanto's Roundup cause cancer? From these trials, they say yes. The science says maybe. It's kind of all over the place. How difficult would it be for Bayer to just come up with another formula, something that doesn't use this glyphosate that is at the center of this? It would be a pretty uh, large-scale shift for them. Glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup, really underpins a large chunk of their products. They've developed seeds that are glyphosate-resistant. They have several different Roundup products that are all glyphosate-based. So to shift at this point would be really a complete pivot. So in the meantime, they're definitely going to continue to use glyphosate products and, and double down on them and, and keep them on the shelves because it's really such a large part of their business. Wow. I did not know that. I mean, it, everything is kind of, if they change the one product, then yeah, they have to go back and, and change the formula for so many other things. They're all kind of codependent on each other. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. For now, the jury has awarded $80.3 million to Edwin Hardiman for getting a non-Hodgkin lymphoma for his use of Roundup Weed Killer. Sarah Randazzo, legal reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. And keep an eye out because the next trial actually started today. So we'll have another wow. verdict soon. Okay. Thank you. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment. Give us a rating. 
tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.